Well, praise God. I'm excited. We're finishing our series more this week, and we're going to talk today about more of his presence. Now, anytime you announce a title like that, it sounds very out there, very esoteric, very chasing the glory cloud. And let me say something. There is such an element of mystery when we talk about this idea of apprehending the presence of God. A number of years ago, I was a pastor in a small town in a church plant. Annette and I had been laboring, working. We started a coffee house with it. And frankly, after about three years, we were totally and completely exhausted. We had given everything we had and then some, and then we were still giving more, and we found ourselves running dry. Has anybody here ever found themselves a little on the dry side? It's kind of like this summer. We were dry. The ground was cracked. There was no rain in sight. It was just oppressive, and I found myself absolutely empty and devoid. I I was empty inside. The, The word just seemed to not have the life it did, and I found myself desperate. But I knew that I needed him. And so several nights in a row, I would go over to the church, and I would just, I was in there by myself, and I would just keep the lights turned way down low, and I would put on worship music, and I just, I just began to go around the sanctuary, and I just begin to pray, and I began to cry out, and I was like, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Now, when I first started this this little experiment, I was first saying, Lord, we need finances. Lord, we need more people. Lord, we need more leaders. Lord, we, meet, we need more help. Lord, we need a move of your spirit. I was so hungry for revival, so desperate for a move of God that I was calling out and crying out. And I would read scriptures that said, you know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will. And I would go, that's a promise. That's a promise. You promise. And I would get in there and I'd cry out and, and call upon God. And, and I'd say, Lord, we need revival. We need an outpouring of your spirit. How many know those are good things to ask for? We needed finances. How many know that's a good thing to ask for? Uh, we needed more leaders and more people. Hey, you know, it's a good thing to ask for. I was asking for okay things. I mean, that, that wasn't the problem. But the problem was I was thinking in terms that I needed those things. And because my life was devoided of those issues and those things, I, I thought I've got to get closer to God so I can get those things. And I found myself going to God so I could get things. Now, I wasn't even crying out. This wasn't even materialistic in nature in the sense that I wasn't trying to get a bigger, nicer car. I just wanted revival. I wanted him. I wanted God to show up. And so I was going to him to try to get him to show up at church. And after about three or four nights of just exhausting myself and wearing myself out, and I even tried a grandstand thing. This is a little embarrassing, but... You know, I'd always read about preachers who did really radical things, like one guy who jumped up on a pulpit one time in a Baptist church and stood on the pulpit. I mean, it's just horrified congregation, you know. And by the way, it didn't last very long after that, but it was a church that I was a member of at one point. He stood on the pulpit and was standing, and, and then I heard about another pastor who actually stood on his Bible. He's just standing on the word, and I think he got fired too. And so, anyway, all these guys that were grandstanding and doing these big, amazing things, and 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 then I read stories about about revivals that came when somebody just really hung it all out there. And so I'm like, man, I've got to I've got to hang it out there. So I, I'm like for three nights in a row crying out to God. I man, I'm I'm claiming, I'm casting down, I'm. 
I'm casting out devils out of the dogs in the neighborhood. I'm going after God. I'm like, and I'm loud. I'm making a lot of noise and real dramatic. And I come up to the altar. We had an altar real similar to this, actually, in, in, at, the, at the front. And we had, I had done this illustration using some nails, big old nails, that a, that a guy had made at a forge. So they kind of look like, sort of like railroad ties, but they were actually handmade. And I had them all just sitting up there, and I grabbed one I was just talking about, and I was going after God, and I knelt down at the altar, and just in a moment of just intensity, I just took that nail, and I just slammed it on the altar, and it just stuck there. And I expected something to happen. I, just, I don't know if I was expecting a lightning bolt or the move of God, a wave of the Spirit, the river of God flowing through the sanctuary. You know what happened? I hurt my hand because when I hit that thing, my hand slid on that nail and just drove it into the, and I thought I broke my hand. I just walked out, (laughs) went over, turned the music off. I'm shaking my hand. The nail's still sitting there. Now I've made a big old chip in the table, the Lord's table. And I just, I left that night just going, what is going on? I was very defeated. Anybody ever felt like that? Or am I the only human in the room? Where you just, you're going to make a grandstand for God. You're going to hang it out there. You're thinking you're going to make God show up. You're going to get God to move. <laughs> well, it didn't work. We ended up crawling out of that city broken, hurt, wounded. Learned later just some real valuable. Let's just and continue to learn from that experience. So I... Once the, once the adrenaline wore off and my hand felt better and I began to just go to the Lord, Lord, what happened? Why, why is it that when I read in these books, all these amazing things happen when people grandstand, but when I do, nothing? And he said, your motive's wrong. I was like, what do you mean? So I'm reading the Word, I'm searching the Scriptures, and God doesn't speak real directly. I don't get like those real direct words like some people get. It's I've I got to really feel like sometimes work for it and listen and and glean and get impressions, but it wasn't it wasn't a big grand voice. It was a still small voice. And basically here's what I my takeaway from that was is that God's God basically told me, You're trying to get me to move based on your performance and based on what you think this city needs, based on what you think this church needs, based on what you think you need. He said, But I don't move according to need. He said, I move when you want me, for me. And that caused me to back way off and begin to reevaluate my motive and my heart. And I realized I'd been going after God for what I could get. And even the things I was trying to get were not bad things. Like I said, I wasn't trying to get a bigger house, a bigger car, or bigger bank account. I just wanted to be able to pay the bills. I just want to be able to turn the air conditioner on in the church building. I wasn't even asking for abundance. And yet God was going to take me and teach me a very important lesson. And I realized I have got to learn to go to him simply for his sake, not for mine. And so now my worship isn't about how amazing our team is, and they are. I think somebody could be up here with a kazoo 
rocking out some old Maranatha. Anybody remember Maranatha? Rocking out some Maranatha on a kazoo. And let me tell you, if my heart's right and pure, I don't even care. Remember going on a Mexico to uh, on a mission trip to Mexico a number of years ago, and we we were we had to pack our guitars in, and we had I mean literally it was just walking down these dirty dusty trails, and it was hot, and then we would get to this little bitty church out in the middle of nowhere, and when it came almost dark people started just coming out of the woods, I mean, down the trails. And, and all of a sudden, this little bitty cinder block building out in the middle of nowhere would fill up with people, and they had one Coleman lantern hanging from a rafter, and that's what gave light for the whole service. No sound system, nothing. And I'm telling you, some of the worship on those nights in that little building out in the middle of nowhere was as impa- was as powerful and impacting to me as anything I've ever experienced in a conference. Why? Because of the heart. Because the heart was to know him. And because my heart was to now apprehend his presence, not just his stuff. I shared a scripture earlier. Randall, can you put that scripture back up? Psalm 16. It says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness. Someone say fullness. That word fullness simply means this. It means, it means that in his presence, there's healing. Wait, I need to be healed. No, you need his presence. In his presence, there's freedom. I need to be free. No, you need his presence. And if you get his presence, you get freedom. In his presence is provision. There's so many things that are in his presence. Why? Because in his presence is fullness. Listen to this scripture in Colossians. Randall, if you could pull up Colossians 2, 9 and 10. I love this. This is in the New Testament. It says, for in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness. Someone say fullness. Do you see a pattern here? That in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are what? You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are complete in him. And there's the key. See, what we need is not just some amazing worship service where we go out going, oh, boy, did you feel the presence of God? Did you feel the anointing there? Wow, that was anointed. Oh, last week wasn't. Next week, maybe be more. And where we come in and we evaluate, we evaluate all these times we're together and we're completely missing the point. Wow, did y'all notice Josh got a new haircut? Did you see that? I think he's more anointed now that he's got a, this hair. See, we get, we're so goofy, and our eyes are on so much stuff. God, you feel how hot it was in sanctuary? You know, it's been so hot. I don't think they can cool the place down right now. We're missing the point. I mean, would you be able to worship if the air conditioners didn't work? And we came in here, and it was 140 degrees. Trust me, it gets about that hot because I come down in and out of here all the time during the week. Would we still be able to go, ah, oh, you know what, that doesn't matter because all that matters to me right now is his presence. In his presence is fullness. In his presence is all you need. In his presence you are complete. Now, I'm saying all this and everybody's going, yeah, I agree, I agree, but how and so what? But That's great, but how do I get in his presence? Well... Let's talk a little bit about that. I want to talk to you about this thing called perseverance. 
Because here's the deal about his presence. This is not an exact science. Don't you wish it was? We're Americans, so we like things to be like an exact science. A plus B equals C. One plus two equals, somebody help me, three. One plus two equals three. I'm not a numbers guy. So we want things to add up. We want things, in fact, some of you wish I would teach from notes that were like point A, point B, point C. Even Annette, being a linear person, goes, don't use notes. I don't like it when you do that. But, but a lot of us, we just want things in order. We want a step. We want seven steps to a blessed life. Four easy steps. See, we want things in order, but here's the deal. This is not an exact science. Apprehending the presence of God is not a formula. It comes down to your heart. And matters of the heart are a little bit more difficult to define. But I do know this, that if I am in him, then I am complete and I have all I need in that moment. And that in his presence, I'm full. And there's joy and there's life in that. So let me just share some things with you. Talking about apprehending the presence of God. I want you to know something. There is power in persistence. There is power in persistence. I want to share a passage with you out of, out of uh, the Old Testament Book of Genesis, chapter 32, and I want to, I'm going to read through this very quickly. And this is about a guy named Jacob. In fact, his name actually means usurper or manipulator. That's his name because he came out just behind. In fact, his name literally means heel grabber. Came out just behind his brother in birth and actually out of the womb was trying to grab his brother's heel. And so they named him Jacob. And he, Jacob, as he got older, he, he had a lot of things going on in his life. And one night, he's with his family, his two wives, as if he didn't have enough going on. He's got two wives going on here in the Old Testament. Look what happens. He takes his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and he crosses over the river, over a stream called Jabbok. Now, he's by himself, and look what happens. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Now look at the next verse. Then Jacob was left alone. Someone say alone. Jacob is in a place right now where he needs something. And he's being left alone. He's, he goes off to be by himself. And look what it says. And a man, notice it's capitalized. And there's a lot of speculation among commentators about this man. Was it an angel of the Lord? Was it the Lord himself? Either way, and it doesn't even matter, only we who are Western thinkers would even care. But at the end of the day, he wrestled with God. And it says this, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Let me tell you something. Somebody who's going to wrestle with God, have you ever wrestled with God? Do you ever feel like you've wrestled? Do you ever feel like you've, you've been in a match? Well, he wrestles with him all night until the very breaking of day. Now look at the rest of the story. Now when he saw, when he, the man, saw that he, the man, did not prevail against him. Someone say, Jacob was determined. He had perseverance. He had tenacity because he had something in mind. And look what it says. When he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. In other words, he was injured during this time, and we're going to see that Jacob walked with a permanent limp. Let's go to the next verse. And he said, this is the man, the presence of God, the angel of the Lord. He said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Say, I will not. 
let you go. Those words right there should be the cry of our heart. God, I will not let you go. I will not quit. I will not give up. I will not cave in. Oh, but it's hot, so I don't feel like going to church. Oh, it's, I'm tired, so I don't feel like getting involved. Oh, I don't know. I don't, can't really worship because that's, that music is not my style. I will not let you go. Let me tell you something. We get so caught up in our preferences and so caught up in the stuff. We get so distracted that we miss the point of all of this. He was looking for the blessing of God. He said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I know a lot of people that have let go short of the blessing. And if they had just held on, if they hadn't caved in, if they hadn't quit, if they hadn't backed off, if they hadn't got tired and gotten weary, and there's reasons why the Scripture says don't grow weary while doing good. For in due season you shall reap. There's reasons why we're told to hang on, to hang on, to not quit, to not come up short. It says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Someone say, he was tenacious. My cousin Gary was about three years older than me, and when we were kids, we lived on the same block in Lubbock, Texas, so we grew up, a bunch of my family on the same block. It was kind of cool, and, and we hung out all the time. We were all the time getting into stuff, and one time we found this turtle in, a, in the garden area. And, uh, and Gary was messing with his turtle, and, and uh, we thought it was a box turtle. Because we had box turtles all the time, we'd find them. And, and they, we'd turn them into pets, you know. And then, and then we'd let them go, and then they'd go bury themselves up. Well, we thought it was a box turtle, but we didn't know much. And it turned out it wasn't a box turtle, it was a snapping turtle. And the reason we found out is because that thing latched onto Gary's index finger. And I heard a shrill cry come out of my cousin that I've never heard since or before. And he stood up with that turtle hanging on his finger. I mean, what is a group of kids to do when that happens? Well, like any self-respecting kids, we all ran. Because we, we were confused and scared, and we didn't know what was going to happen, and blood's coming out of Gary's finger, and this thing will not let go. We're all just freaking out. We're not sure, you know, we're trying to go get his mom, Linda, or go down the street and get my mom, and we didn't know what to do. And, and so Gary does what any kid would do with a box, not a box, a snapping turtle attached to his index finger. He said, he's screaming, by the way. So he didn't say anything, but he took it, and this was a, a, a brick planter thing. And so he took that turtle, and all he knew to do, at first he tried to sling it off, and it would not let go. And so he takes it, and he, with everything he had, he came down with that, box, that snapping turtle right on those bricks and smashed the shell of that thing. It let go. Of course, we're all coming back over, wow, that's awesome. You know, it's just like bleeding, and he's cut. I mean, his finger's crushed. And through the years, I mean, I've laughed about that story. And when we have family reunions and funerals, that's typically when we all get back together, we go, remember that snapping turtle that got on your finger? Oh, yeah. I mean, we still talk about it. But when I read this story, and I see the tenacity of Jacob, who grabs hold of the man, 
grabs hold of the, the angel of the Lord, grabs and says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I think of that picture of Gary standing there with that turtle hanging off of his hand. That thing was not going to let go. And I'm telling you, it must have been intense. It must have been something else because it got so rough that the the angel of the Lord, the man, had to literally wound him and still he wouldn't let go. How often do things happen to us and we don't even get wounded. We just think we might get wounded, so we let go. We step back. That's too hard. That's too much. That's too scary. Can you imagine a group of people that come into a building just like this and say, I'm going to grab hold of the presence of God and I'm not going to let go. And I'm not going to leave until I'm different. I'm not going to leave until I'm changed. Now, he said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. The word bless there, it literally means until you empower me to succeed. Until you empower me to overcome. Until you empower me to prosper. I will not let you go. Until you show favor toward me. That's what to bless means. Until you show loving kindness. I'm not going to let you go until I know I have your favor. I'm not letting go. And basically in his mind it must have been, you'll have to kill me to get rid of me. Now it might have been violent. It might have been intense. He walked with a permanent limp the rest of his life. But look what happens. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob manipulator, usurper, heel grabber. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob. Now, I gotta, you got to picture this conversation. Jacob is beat up. His hip's out of socket. He's wounded. He must have been, been bleeding, cut, scraped, and he's hanging on. I don't know if he's laying on the ground and has his arms around, but, it, but they're having a conversation in the middle of this struggle. He says, look, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Israel means prince of God. It literally means champion. He says, you will no longer be called Jacob, cheater, but now you're going to be called Israel, champion. He literally changed his identity in that moment. Why? Because he refused to quit, refused to let go. And he says, I'm going to change you. I'm going to change your entire identity from cheater to champion because you refuse to let go. I'm telling you, some of us have got to grab hold of God and say, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go because I need to be changed. I need to be transformed. I don't want to be the same. I'm tired of being in bondage. I want to be free, so I'm hanging on, and I'm not letting go because we let go way too quick. And can you imagine the conversations in heaven? The angels are standing around going, if they had just held on a little bit longer, can you imagine? I was about to change their name. Because you see, in this time, the name represented your identity. I was going to change their name. I was going to change your name if you'd have just held on a little longer. You would have been willing to put up with a little pain, a little struggle, a little effort, a little energy. If you would have just been willing to hang on a little, I was going to change your name. Can you imagine? How many times you and me, how many times we have come up short because we got tired, because we were uncomfortable, or because we didn't want to be changed? I don't know, I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at. 
I know I've got my addictions, I've got my besetting sins, but you know, I'm kind of comfortable with these. After all, they're not really hurting anybody else, oh so you think. Do you know that anytime you walk in willful sin, that means the rest of us don't get all that you are, and you are sinning against us all. You, sir, you, ma'am, are sinning against all of us because we don't get the best that you can be. We don't get all of you. We don't get what you were intended to be because you have chosen bondage over freedom. We don't get the best. And that means when I need you, you're not there because you're isolated and you're afraid and you're ashamed or you're not even present. So don't ever think that you're hidden Secret besetting sin is just about you. We're not getting all of you. Can you imagine heaven just going, just a little longer. They just hung on. He says this, your name shall no longer be cheater, manipulator, but Israel, prince, prince of God, champion, For you have struggled with God. Now, look what he says. And with men and have what? Prevailed. What a title. Struggled with God and prevailed? That didn't even fit our paradigm because of the way we think. But yet he hung on. He didn't quit. He didn't let go. And all he wanted was the blessing of God, the favor of God. I just want favor. I just need you. I need need you to just look to me. Shine your face toward me. Just, I need you. What I'm calling for, and when I talk about more of his presence, I'm not just talking about having a good worship service. I'm talking about having a mentality that says, I'm going to grab hold of God, and I'm not letting go. I mean, you will have to kill me to get rid of me. And I see so little of that level of tenacity. In the body of Christ. I see. I'll hang on to you if it feels good. I'll hang on to you if I like that music style. I'll hang on to you if the temperature's right. I'll hang on to you if the location's right. I'll hang on to you if the preacher's right. I'll hang on to you if they dress right at that church. I'll hang on to you if, 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 if. And God's just looking for somebody that'll hang on no matter what. (sighs) Who wants to be blessed? Who wants... Who wants to be blessed of God? I'm telling you, I want it. So much so that it's costing me. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed, but I walk with a permanent limp. Let me just say something. You need to embrace your limp. What is your limp? It may be scars. It may be, it may be things that, that are a part of your life and a part of your identity that you're now free from, but that cost you something to get where you are. That's a limp. We're so quick to cover our scars, so quick to hide our limp. We don't want anybody to see that we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. But let me tell you something. Some of you need to embrace your limp. Say, you know what? I have a limp. But let me tell you something. At one time, it was an open wound. It was a gaping wound, but it's no more because God has touched my life. And now, even though I limp, I'm blessed. I don't trust anybody who doesn't have a limp. And I'm a pastor. I won't trust you until I see some junk in your life. And I go, okay, they're a human being. Now we can talk. Now I can relate. 
Now I won't feel judged by you. Because now I know you're not perfect too. You have a limp. You see, if you really do walk in the blessing of God, it costs you something to get there. And you will limp because of it. And anybody who hides their limp, they're not fit to even have their hands on the plow. It says, you struggle with God and with men and have prevailed. Next verse. Then Jacob asked, saying, well, tell me your name, I pray. He said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. He said, look, it doesn't matter what my name, let me just, here, I'm going to give you what you asked for. You've proven yourself. You struggled and prevailed. Here you go. I'm giving you what you came for. Next verse. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. See, the belief was, and the idea was, that if you actually saw God, you would be, you'd be killed. You would die. And yet he struggled and prevailed. He was so tenacious that God not only preserved his life, he blessed him. He empowered him to prosper. Next verse. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. And for the rest of his life, whoever saw him coming saw him limping. They say, man, there goes a blessed man, but he limps. <laughs> I wonder what happened. He's blessed because he limps. That limp represents a moment in time where he was unwilling to quit and unwilling to give up. Do you have a limp? Don't call your pet sin a limp. I'm talking about a limp that's there because you were so adamant about the presence of God, so adamant about him that you were willing to pay any price to be with him. And when people see you, they see the presence of God in your life. But he's limping. She's limping. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want anybody to see me limp. I, that messes my swagger up. I bet I better I better cover it, or I better make it a part of my better make it a part of my swagger. Yeah, that's it. There you go. See, I'm not limping. It's a swagger. See, we're just so quick to not want to show any kind of any kind of frailty at all. But let me tell you something. I will trust you if you have a limp that I know is there because you paid the price to have more of His presence. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? As we pray, I'm going to show you a video. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, open our eyes to see. Open our eyes to see. We can have the worship team come on up, but I want to show you this video of a man who now walks with a permanent limp. What you're about to witness is one of the greatest moments, at least in recorded sports history. Father, open our eyes, even through this example of what it means to press, what it means to persevere, what it means to be willing to limp. In Jesus' name, if you'll turn your eyes to the screen. That's a picture of tenacity and perseverance. What you don't know is that leading up to that race, he had had eight surgeries to correct injuries. The year before, uh, he had won in Tokyo the gold medal for the 400-meter relay, and then he was running the 400-meter here at Barcelona, Spain, and was favored to win. When that happened, what I love about the video and what it captures is that 
he began to shake people off because he was determined to finish. You know what? Nobody remembers who won that race. In fact, I looked it up. I couldn't find it. But I found a lot about Derek Redmond. But I couldn't even find who won that race. It was a semifinal, not a final. It was a qualifier. But no one knows who won. All anyone cared about was watching one injured individual have the heart to persevere, the heart to run over the line. I love it when his dad comes down on the field. And the security didn't know who he was. They were trying to hold him off, and he just fights past him. He gets to his son, and then he waves off anybody else. He says, we're going to finish this thing together. We started together. We're going to finish this thing together. There's a story after this, another story attached to this. Once he was seen and examined, and, and uh, a doctor literally told him, he said, you will never race again. You'll never perform uh, for your nation again. You're done with sports. And Derek Redmond decided, I'm not going to give up. So you know what he did? He switched sports. And he actually made the, the British national basketball team for the Olympics and played again. He actually sent the confirmation letter once he made it to the Olympics to that doctor saying, I told you I would do it. Not only that, he went on because he, he had a desire. He said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to represent my nation in the Olympics in three sports. He took up rugby after that, made the national team for Great Britain, but did not make the cut for the Olympics, just barely fell short. But he always walked with a limp. It's time that some of us grab hold of the reins, grab hold of the man and say, I'm not going to let you go. I need more of you, more of your presence. And you know what? Lord, you can kill me, but I'm not letting go. If it hurts, I'm not letting go. I need more. So again, there's no exact science to his presence. It's a pressing in. It's a holding on. It's a willing to struggle. And the best way I can say it, I could tell you to read the Bible more. I could tell you to pray more. I could tell you to be in a, listen to worship music in your house 24-7, which I, we keep it going. But I mean, those are just those are simple, pragmatic things. But really, it comes to a shift right here in your thinking to say, you know what? I'm going to... I'm going to set my face toward God, and I'm not going to look away. And I'm just going to go. I'm going to lean toward him. Whatever that means, I'm going to lean toward him. It may mean that when we have worship here and we give you the opportunity for communion, you just say, I, whatever it looks like, I'm going to lean toward him. A lot of times, you guys, if you've ever watched me in worship, I just, I'll bob. I just, I find myself, all it is is just leaning. I'm just leaning toward because I don't know what else to do. Kind of like a dog who's excited. I don't know what to do. I just lean. I just bob. I'm just, I'm just pressing. I'm pressing. I'm grabbing. I'm apprehending. I'm just leaning toward him the best I can. So there's no steps. There's no formula. Sorry. It's just a sense of I'm going to grab him and I'm not going to let go. And I'm willing to make him Lord. And I'm going to diss everything else in my life that's keeping me from it. I'm going after him. I'm setting my face. I'm grabbing hold. And I'm willing to walk with a limp if that's what it takes. Can we all stand together?